ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهديه الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so in the chapter regarding the names and attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the last particular topic was regarding the face of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala what did we mention regarding the latest topic the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the hadith it had mentioned what when those companions were talking about the jal and the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam heard them and then he said to them indeed the jal is one-eyed awar and your lord is not one-eyed so the scholars they deduced from this that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has two eyes. That's because the example the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam gave was something very specific to the one eye issue. He said Dajjal is one eyed. Your Lord is not. Which the scholars said means therefore Allah has two eyes. If somebody was to say that the meaning of the hadith is open, your Lord is not one-eyed, so maybe multiple eyes. Why are you saying the meaning of it is therefore two? Who can answer? The hadith said, the Prophet ﷺ said, Dajjal is one-eyed, your Lord is not one-eyed. Dajjal is one-eyed, your Lord is not one-eyed. As it mentioned, إِنَّ الْمَسِيحَ الدَّجَّالَ أَعْوَرُ الْعَيْنَ الْيُمْنَى كَأَنَّ عَيْنَهُ عِنَبَةٌ طَافِيَةٌ Mentioned about the eye of the Dajjal, his right eye, that it is like a floating grape. And the Prophet ﷺ has said to them, had mentioned to them, that indeed your Lord Laysa bi'a'war That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not one-eyed Like the Dajjal is one-eyed But what if somebody said Well that can just mean multiple eyes for Allah then Allah is not one-eyed like the Dajjal That's open, three, five, ten, multiple Why are you saying that when the Prophet ﷺ said The Dajjal is one-eyed Your Lord is not that this must equal two eyes then. Why can it not just mean anything more than one? That's basically it. The comparison being made is very particular 
to the two eyes of the Dajjal. The comparison being made in the hadith is very particular to the two eyes of the Dajjal and that one of them is, is, is not perfect. One of them is not working. Mentioning two eyes, one of them is not functioning. So the example is about two eyes. One of them not functioning. Your Lord is not one-eyed like the Dajjal. Therefore Allah has two eyes. But they are not like the Dajjal. That one of them is not functioning as the Dajjal. So Allah has two eyes. Whereas with every attribute, as with every attribute, upon perfection, without any deficiency, without anything short. If the point was just to say that Allah has many eyes, there would be no point to mentioning that Dajjal has one eye that doesn't work. That's irrelevant then. Even if the Dajjal had two eyes then. Even if the Dajjal had two functioning eyes, if the point that was being made was that Allah has multiple eyes, then even Dajjal having two functioning eyes could have worked as an example. Because Allah has multiple eyes anyway. If that was the case. So the point on that one, where the example has been made about the Dajjal having two eyes, one of them not working, and then the Prophet saying, your Lord is not like that, meaning Allah has two eyes, but with no imperfection or deficiency. Two eyes upon perfection. Then there was the issue about some ayat, Mentioning the eyes of Allah in the plural form and some ayat mentioning it in the singular form, Aini and Bi'ayunina in the single and in the plural. So, how do you combine all of that? Somebody says to you now, there is an ayah in the Quran, Walitusna'a ala Aini, singular. And then, Tajri bi'ayunina, plural. Al-jama'. So now which one? One eye or plural eyes? One, one eye saying, وَلِتُسْنَعَ عَلَىٰ عَيْنِي Single. So how do you understand this then? How can it be mentioned in the singular then? If we're just saying now that Allah has more than one eye. That's the first point. We absolutely know there can never be any contradiction in the Qur'an. That is a principle we already learned. So straight away, there cannot be any issue of conflict or contradiction here. So if that's the case, how do we understand it when we have authentic narrations and texts telling us Allah has more than one eye, but the eye is saying one eye. We know it's not a contradiction or conflict, so what is it then? So there's an Arabic rule, which you're only really going to understand in Arabic, but the basic rule being something singular, when it is made into a construct of the mudaf, mudaf ilayhi, it is joined to something, when two Arabic words are joined in that way, the singular word, grammatically in Arabic as a rule, no longer necessitates singular. The singular thing no longer necessitates singular.
like وَإِنْ تَعُدُّوا نِعْمَةَ اللَّهِ نِعْمَةَ وَاحِدَةَ Only one. The meaning is plural, the ni'am. But it's the singular. The singular. It is mudaf. When you make it mudaf, mudaf ilayhi, then it doesn't mean only one. It means more than one. So that singular doesn't necessitate singular. There is no contradiction there. That we all covered the last time. So now then, moving on, the Sheikh says, فَإِنْ قَالَ قَائِلٌ فِي هَذَا الْحَدِيثِ إِشْكَالٌ عَظِيمٌ وَهُوَ كَيْفَ أَنَّ الرَّسُولَ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ جَعَلَ الْعَلَامَةِ الْفَارِقَةِ فِي الْعَيْنِ مَعَ أَنَّ الْفَرْقَ بَيْنَ الْخَالِقِ وَالْمَخْلُوقِ عَقْلِيٌّ لَا حِسِّيٌّ أَنَّهُ لَيْسَ الْفَرْقُ مجرد أن هذا أعور والرب عز وجل ليس بأعور بل هناك فروق كثيرة فلماذا؟ الشيخ الثيمين هنا brings up this point in the hadith the prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said Dajjal is one-eyed your lord is not so the difference being made between the Dajjal and Allah is in the issue of eyes if somebody says but that is such a minor thing why would the comparison or the difference not the comparison the difference why would the difference be explained over the issue of the eye when we know that there is far far greater and more vast things in the difference between the creator and the creation why would it be mentioned or made a point of regarding the eyes that's a minor thing even if the jal had two eyes the difference between him and allah subhanahu wa ta'ala unrecognizable so why pinpoint it down to this minor issue of the eyes the jal has one eye your lord does not even if the jal had two eyes wouldn't make a difference. Allah is far greater and more mighty and majestic than anything in His creation. So why was this type of example given? That's the point the Shaykh wants to bring up. Why did the Prophet ﷺ bring about this point which may appear to be very minor? Eyes, when we know that the difference is far, far greater than that between the Creator and the creation. The Shaykh says, إن الرسول صلى الله عليه وسلم ذكر هذه العلامة الحسية. The Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم made a point of this physical sign, the physical sign of the eyes of the Dajjal, made a point of this physical issue. لأن المسألة أنه إذا جاء الدجال اندهش الرجال وضاعت العقول. فالعلامة الحسية أسرع إلى الإدراك من العلامة العقلية لأن العلامة العقلية تحتاج إلى مقدمات وربما يذهل الإنسان عنها في تلك اللحظة لكن العلامة الحسية واضحة كالعلامة الأخرى التي ستأتي إن شاء الله في الحديث الذي بعده 
وهي أنه مكتوب بين عينيه كافر فهذه أيضا علامة حسية So the Sheikh says the reasoning behind the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam making a point on the issue of the eyes of the Dajjal even though that is such a minor issue compared to the Dajjal and what he is and the Lord and the Creator Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the point of making the issue on the eyes and bringing that to everyone's attention is because when the Dajjal comes at the end of time he will of course deceive many people and many people will fall under his trap so the Prophet ﷺ gave us a physical point because a physical reference point is far easier to grasp quickly than something you have to think about. Something physically you can see is far easier to grasp and to comprehend than something you have to think about in an abstract manner. The Prophet ﷺ could have told us about the Dajjal and all types of issues regarding the Dajjal. But they may have been issues that are not physically visible. Those types of issues would take longer to comprehend. Whereas at the end of time, in that situation, in that scenario, then people, if they have to work out the Dajjal from abstract concepts, it would be greater in fitna. But a physical thing mentioned about his eyes, that's how he's going to look, is something easily comprehensible. It is easily understood and seen, and that sign is clear. Just like we're going to come to the other hadith, inshallah, where it mentions about the writing between the eyes and the forehead of the Dajjal, another clear, apparent, physical sign to determine the Dajjal. وَالنَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ أَفْصَحُ الْخَلْقِ وَأَنْصَحُهُمْ And the Prophet ﷺ was the most eloquent of the people and the most sincere in his advice to the people. ذَكَرَ الْعَلَامَةَ الَّتِي لَا تَحْتَاجْ إِلَى مُقَدِّمَاتِ وَلَا إِلَى إِعْمَالِ فِكْرِ بمجرد ما يرى الرجل هذا الخبيث الدجال يعرف أنه ليس برب So as soon as the people see the Dajjal Because remember The Dajjal claims to be what? Claims to be the Lord He will claim to be the Rabb When he comes He will claim to be the Lord So now the people need a way to distinguish That he is not the Lord there could have been many different things that the Prophet ﷺ could have told us for us to identify that he is not the Lord. But he gave us a simple physical sign that your Lord is not one-eyed. Your Lord is two-eyed. So when the people see the Dajjal claiming to be the Lord, but they see that he is one-eyed, a physical sign, blatant, then it's clear straight away doesn't require any thought, doesn't require any working out, okay, Allah has these names and those attributes, etc., etc. Does this claimant have those? It doesn't require any background, it doesn't require any thought. It's a physical sign for the people to identify, your Lord is not one-eyed. This claimant to being the Lord is 
one eyed so he cannot be the Lord. So the Shaykh mentions the Prophet وسلم, being the most eloquent in his language and usage of words and being the most sincere in his advice to the people gave them a clear and blatant and easy sign to distinguish that the Dajjal is not the Lord when he comes and claims to be the Lord. فَهَذَا هُوَ وَجْهُ كَوْنِ النَّبِيِّ صلى الله عليه وسلم ذكر هذه العلامة الحسية دون أن يكون هناك علامات عقلية وإلا فمن المعلوم أفمن يخلق كمن لا يخلق على أن هذا الدجال يوهم الناس أنه يخلق يأمر السماء فتمطر والأرض فتنبط يقتل الرجل فيحييه فيحصل في هذا لبس لكن ولله الحمد هذه العلامة الحسية لا تحتاج إلى تأمل ولا إلى تفكير. So the Sheikh highlights this hadith again saying that in reality there are so many other great things that could have been mentioned to highlight that the Dajjal is not the Lord. So many things. But the Prophet ﷺ mentioned that clear physical sign. Otherwise, there are many other concepts. For example, in the ayah in the Quran, it mentions, is the one who creates like the one who does not create? Is the one who creates equal and the same as the one who cannot create? And you remember that story. When it comes to the issue of creation, comes to the issue of creation and giving life and these aspects of rububiyyah, that individual who had the jaw, what did he have inside the jaw? No maggots, no maggots. If he had maggots in the jaw, there's already things alive in the jaw, nothing to prove. The story goes, scholars, they mention this, that there was some individual from the past and he claimed he could create he said he can make things come to life just like that so he got a jaw and in the jaw he put old meat rotting meat and rotting vegetables put that all in there that rotting meat and rotting vegetables, is there anything alive? Some old meat on the plate left over, is it alive? Old vegetables, are they alive? Put them all into the jar, lock it shut. Close it, he says to them, look. In this jar, is there anything alive? They say, no. Some old chunk of meat, some old bits and bobs of vegetables and potatoes and whatever nothing alive nothing moving no no live matter all dead matter so then he says to them it's locked shut watch we will leave it here i will create life from death in there there is nothing alive in there so they leave it shut nobody opens it after a while a day or whatever it takes they come back, nobody's touched it, and now all of a sudden there are inside the jar maggots. There's maggots in the jar. 
So now he says to the people, look, I told you, nobody opened the jar, nobody touched it. I have created life. I knew how to bring this life into being existing. This life into existence. Maggots moving in the jar now. Nobody opened the jar, nobody put them in there. I created them. So then they say there was a boy in the audience. A clever boy that Allah inspired. And so the boy says to this man, You claim to have created the maggots in the jar. You claim to have created them, brought them to life. You are their creator. So tell us if you don't mind. Of course. How many maggots did you create in the jar? So now in that jar, all the maggots are moving around. How many are in there? Even if you try to count, they're all crossing over each other. You can't count. So the man didn't know. This was now a proof against him. Because if he was the creator of the maggots, then he would know how many he created. He didn't know. So that was a proof against him. Then the boy said to him, If you are the one who gave life to these maggots, you created them out of nothing in this jar, then tell us, since you are the one who gave them life, when do you plan to give them death? When are all these maggots going to die out? When is all of them going to die? How long? How long will they survive in the jar? Don't try it at home. You'll get in trouble with your parents. But maybe a week, maybe two weeks, who knows? The man didn't know. And this was another proof against him. If you're the creator who gave them life, then you should know when you're going to give them death. So, the point being that narration, the scholars, they use it to highlight Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the only one who creates. Dajjal on that day when he comes and he's upon this earth, and how long is he going to be upon this earth? 40 days? This is another one of those classical mathematics ones that always comes up and nobody gets it. So how long is the Dajjal going to be on the earth? <laughs> how long is the Dajjal going to be on the earth? Huh? 40? This is like the hadith. Kam bayna nafkhatayn. Qala Abu Huraira arba'oon. Qalu arba'oona yawman. Qala abayt. Qalu arba'oona shahran. Qala abayt. Arba'oona sana. Qala abayt. So you say now arba'oon. Arba'oon what? 40 what? 40 days. So the Dajjal is going to be on this earth. 40 days. 431 days. The hadith says what? 40 days. But the first day is going to be like a year. The second day is going to be like a month. The third day is going to be like... In the hadith it says, Like Friday, like a week. Because Jumu'ah in Arabic refers to a week. So the third day is going to be like a week. 40 days. But... Take into consideration the first day is going to be like a year. The second day is going to be like a month. 
The third day is going to be like a week and the rest of the days as normal days. So how many is it all together now? Masakin, all of everybody failed GCSE maths. <laughs> no, we want some figure which is understandable. 430 something days, nobody knows. Give us a figure which is understandable to everybody. One year, two months, two weeks. One year. All right, so the first day is like a year. So it's going to be at least a year. Second day is like a month. So now it's definitely one year, one month. Third day is like a week, so now definitely one year, one month, one week. The rest of the 37 days as normal 37 days, which is a month and a week, five weeks. So far we got what? One year, one month, one week. Add on five more weeks, you end up with what? One year, two months, two weeks. One year, two months, two weeks. Roughly, that is the figure. So, the the uh, Dajjal will be upon the earth that long, and he will. He will try and deceive the people as though he can create. He will deceive and apparently show to the people, make them think and believe that he can create. He will command the sky, and the rain it comes down, and the earth he commands it and the vegetation grows. Kills a man and brings him back to life. So he will do all of these things. It causes people to fall into this illusion, this deception. That he is doing things as he claims to be the Lord, actions of creation and life and death. So that deception will occur. And that's why the Prophet ﷺ gave us a clear, blatant sign that doesn't require any thought. Even if he's doing all of these things, these illusions and deceptions and these things that Allah allows him to do. Even if he's doing all of that and claiming to be the Lord, you can see a blatant sign on him that indicates to you he is not the Lord because the Prophet has said, your Lord is not one-eyed. Dajjal is. He will be one-eyed. That is the point. وَفِي هَذَا الْحَدِيثِ دَلِيلٌ عَلَىٰ عِظَمِ فِتْنَةِ الدَّجَّالِ The hadith indicates to us the greatness of the trial the fitna of the Dajjal, just like in the hadith it mentions, every prophet warned his people against the Dajjal. لِأَنَّ النَّبِيَّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ أَخْبَرَ أَنَّهُ مَا مِنْ نَبِيٍّ إِلَّا أَنْذَرَ قَوْمَهُ الْأَعْوَرَ الدَّجَّالِ There is not any prophet except that he warned his people against the one-eyed Dajjal. And how many prophets were there? 124,000 thereabouts. 
And how many messengers? 300 others, the scholars, they mentioned 310, 313. All of them warned their people against the one-eyed Dajjal. كُلُّ الْأَنْبِيَاءِ مِنْ نُوحِ إِلَى مُحَمَّدِ يُنْذِرُونَ أَقْوَامَهُمُ الْأَعْرَى الْكَذَّابِ All of them from the time of Nuh, from the time of Nuh alayhi salam, the first of the messengers, from then he was warning his people and every prophet and messenger warned his people thereafter. هَذَا قَدْ يُشْكِلْ فَيُقَالْ الْأَعْوَرْ الْكَذَّابِ مِنْ عَلَامَاتِ السَّاعَةِ فَكَيْفَ يُنْذِرُ بِهِ أَوَّلُ الرُّسُلُ وَالسَّاعَةِ لَمْ تَأْتِ بَعْدِ What if somebody says now, and you'll see this type of thing in the books of a shaykh, that they mean a lot, when he brings up these issues, What's an issue somebody might bring up now? Nuh alayhi salam was warning his people against Dajjal. The question could be why? He's the first messenger. There are so many to come yet and we know that Dajjal isn't going to appear until the final messenger has come and died and gone. So what's the purpose of the first messenger warning his people when? We know it can't happen yet. It's going to happen afterwards with other messengers and prophets to come yet. So the shaykh says maybe somebody may say, why did the earlier prophets and messengers warn against the Dajjal when it's known that Dajjal wasn't going to come until the final messenger has been and died and then after that the day of judgment and the signs and the Dajjal is going to occur. The Shaykh says, الوجه الأول أن يقال أنذرت به الرسل لعظم خطره فينوه عنه حتى في الصحف الأولى حتى في الرسالات الأولى The Shaykh says, one reasoning or one explanation behind that is as the narrations generally mention because of the tremendous, the tremendous severity of the fitna of the Dajjal, it was something that was generally alluded to from the earliest times. Such was the tremendous fitna that was going to be of the Dajjal, that even from the earlier times it was alluded to. That is one general explanation. So he says, فَلِعِظَمِ خَطَرِ هَذَا الرَّجُلْ أَنْذَرَتْ بِهِ الرُّسُلُ وَإِنْ كَانَ لَا يَخْرُجُ إِلَّا فِي آخِرِ الزَّمَانِ So because of the size of the fitna that was going to come with the Dajjal eventually, the earlier prophets alluded to it as well, simply because of the tremendous nature of that fitna that was to come at the end of time. Second explanation as to why the earlier prophets and messengers mentioned it, الوجه الثاني, أنه يحتمل أن الرسل لم يبلغهم أنه سيخرج في آخر الزمان إنما بلغهم أنه سيخرج رجل له فتنة عظيمة ولم يوحى إليهم أنه سيخرج في آخر الزمان This is a possibility 
we now know in the revelation given to us, the final revelation, that the Dajjal will appear at the end of time. Is it a necessity that in the previous revelations, they were told that the Dajjal is an entity that will exit at the end of time? Is it a necessity they were told that? Maybe not. Maybe in the earlier revelations, the Dajjal was mentioned, but without any specification that he is someone who will exit at the end of time. In our final revelation, we have that specification. That the Dajjal will exit at the end of time as one of the signs of the hour. In the previous revelations, it could have been that the Dajjal was mentioned and the fitna of the Dajjal was mentioned, but it was not specified that he is going to be at the end of time. In which case it means all the prophets and messengers would have had to take it upon themselves to warn their people there and then, not knowing when the Dajjal is going to exit. If it was not mentioned in their revelations about it being at the end of time. So if all that they had was that there is going to be a tremendous fitna of the Dajjal. And it wasn't specified it's going to be at the end of time. Then the assumption has to be it can be any time. And therefore the prophets and messengers would have warned their people there and then. For every revelation every time. So that is a possibility. Third possibility and this is, the Shaykh says, a weak explanation. But it is something that may be mentioned by some scholars. But it's a weak one overall. But just to mention it. Al-Wajhu Thalith, lakinnahu da'if, anna al-murad, ma yushabihu fitnatahu min du'ati al-dalal. That the meaning of it, when all the other prophets and messengers were warning against the Dajjal, is that they were not referencing the actual Dajjal, they were referencing those who resemble the qualities of the Dajjal. The callers to misguidance and those calling to the hellfire, they are all, in essence, sharing the quality of, the characteristic of, the Dajjal calling you to the hellfire. So when they were warning against the Dajjal, the point was warning against those people of misguidance taking you to the fire, just like the Dajjal does. So it was like an example. They weren't referring to the actual Dajjal. But that's a weak explanation, the Shaykh says. Those who have mentioned that as an explanation, it is a weak explanation. And that is because in the narration it mentions all of the prophets and messengers, they warned against al A'war al-Kazzab, the one-eyed liar. So then upon this explanation, that would mean that there just happened to be people of misguidance who were all one-eyed, and that's not very strong. It's not very plausible. So that is not an explanation that is very strong, the Shaykh says, but the first two certainly are. The first explanation that just because of the severity of the danger of the Dajjal, he was alluded to from the very earliest of revelations. And secondly, maybe they weren't told when he's going to appear, and therefore they warned their people from the beginning. These are issues and points that you find from the Salaf, whereby because of the severity of something, they took a certain approach to things. We mentioned it earlier. A principle the Salaf used to have, when something is mentioned with severity, they would purposely 
deal with that threat and severity in an open way. So when they used to see people committing minor shirk in the times of the Salaf, if they saw someone committing minor shirk, not major, minor shirk, some type of minor shirk, a shirk al-asr, they would refute that person and join the good, forbid the evil, clarify and explain to him his action, his minor shirk, but they wouldn't clarify and tell him it's minor shirk, they would refute him using evidences that were actually applicable to and referring to major shirk. Even though, even though they knew what you had been doing was only minor shirk. They wouldn't tell him that. They would use evidences of the severe nature that are referring to major shirk and clarifying it to him and enjoying the good and forbidding the evil. Why? Even though he's only doing minor shirk. Why put those heavy evidences of major shirk upon him? Because, it, because of the severity of the action. Shirk in whatever form, it is something severe. So they wanted to highlight the severity of what he'd done. Even if it was only minor shirk. That's going to lead on to major shirk. So to highlight to him and to hit him. To hit him with the full force of what he's done. And to give him the full force of realization. Of the badness of his act that he's done. Even if it is only minor shirk. Shirk nevertheless. They would use evidences of the severe nature upon him. So that he is going away with some serious thought and some serious realization upon what he's done. So, these explanations are valid. That perhaps it was due to the severity that they were mentioned from the earlier times. Then the Shaykh goes on to say, وَعَلَى كُلِّ حَالٍ فَإِنَّ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ أَنْذَرَنَا بِهَذَا الْأَعْوَرَ الدَّجَّالِ إِنْذَارًا لَمْ يُنْذِرْهُ أَحَدٌ مِنَ الْأَنْبِيَاءِ قَبْلَهِ وَفَصَّلَهُ تَفْصِيلًا تَامًّا وَقَدْ كُتِبَ بَيْنَ عَيْنَيْهِ كَافِرٌ يَقُولْ مَكْتُوبٌ بَيْنَ عَيْنَيْهِ كَافِرٌ وَقَدْ جَاءَ فِي بَعْضِ الرِّوَايَاتِ بِتَفْرِيقِ حُرُوفٍ كَافِرٍ يَعْنِي مَكْتُوبٌ كَافِرٌ وَفِي بَعْضِ الرِّوَايَاتِ كَافِرٌ فَيُحْتَمِلُ هَذَا أَوْ هَذَا وَلَكِنَّ الْمَعْنَى أَنَّ الْعَلَامَةَ لَا تَخْتَلِفُ so, one of the other signs of the Dajjal will be that it is written uh, upon his forehead between his eyes, Kafir. It is written upon his forehead between his eyes, Kafir. And in some narrations it says it's the letters, Kaf, Fa, and Ra. Some narrations it mentions the letters are written independently, Kaf, Fa, and Ra. And sometimes you hear the scholars explaining with the narration of kafir. But in either sense, in either way, it is the same thing. It is another clear and blatant and open sign for the people that this individual is not the Lord. He is indeed a disbeliever. لَكِنْ مَنْ يَقْرَأْ هَذِي الْكَلِمَاتِ Who will be able to read that? Because if it is that apparent, written upon him kafir, then surely everybody can see that and nobody will follow him. But, there is a point regarding that. يَقْرَأُهَا الْمُؤْمِنُ سَوَاءً كَانَ كَاتِبًا أَوْ غَيْرَ كَاتِبًا 
the believers, they are the ones who will be able to read that upon his eyes or between his eyes. The believers will be able to see that whether they are able to read or not. Illiterate believers will be able to read that. So the believers will be able to read that whether they are literate or illiterate. وَلَا يَسْتَطِيعُ الْكَافِرُ أَوْ الْمُنَافِقُ أَنْ يَقْرَأَهَا وَلَوْ كَانَ مِنْ أَعْلَمِ النَّاسِ بِالْكِتَابَةِ As for the disbelievers or the hypocrites, they will not be able to read that even if they are the biggest experts in literacy. Even if they are the biggest experts in literacy, in being able to read, they won't be able to read that, they won't be able to perceive that. And there's the ayat in the Quran, it mentions it, وَجَعَلْنَا مِن بَيْنِ أَيْدِيهِمْ سَدًّا وَمِن خَلْفِهِمْ سَدًّا فَأَغْشَيْنَاهُمْ فَهُمْ لَا يُبْصِرُونَ Made a covering upon them so they cannot see. So they will not be able to read. وَالْمُؤْمِنُ يَقْرَأُهَا وَلَوْ كَانَ أُمِّيًّا the believer will be able to read it even if he is illiterate. This is from the great signs of Allah uh, that this will occur. Uh, and then one more issue the Shaykh mentions. Mas'ala. بالنسبة للوجه الثاني إذا كان الأنبياء لم يعلموا أن خروج الدجال يكون في آخر الزمان فإن الله يعلم ومع ذلك فقد أمرهم بالإنذار به. Again, Going back to the point of all the prophets warning against the, the, the Dajjal, second point was maybe they did that because they didn't know in their revelation that the Dajjal is going to be only at the end of time. But then, if that's the case, of course Allah knows that. Allah knows that. So why is it the case that Allah still commanded them and revealed to them about the Dajjal? Allah knows that the Dajjal isn't going to exit yet. So why did Allah reveal to them information and uh, tell them about warning against the Dajjal then? Al-Jawab, ذَلِكَ لِلتَّخْوِيفِ مِنْهُ In order to bring about fear from the Dajjal, to be precautious from the fitna of the Dajjal. إِذَنْ ذَكَرْنَا أَوَّلًا أَنَّ أَنَّ لِلَّهِ عَيْنَيْنِ إِثْنَتَيْنِ لَا نَتَجَاوَزُ ذَلِكَ Therefore the point of all of this is the names and attributes of Allah that Allah has two eyes and we don't go beyond that. Also الْجَمْعُ بَيْنَ صِيغَةِ الْإِفْرَادِ وَصِيغَةِ الْجَمْعِ ذَكَرْنَا أَنَّهُ لَا مُنَافَاتِ بَيْنَ صِيغَةِ الْإِفْرَادِ وَصِيغَةِ الْجَمْعِ We mentioned there's no issue, no conflict between the singular word being mentioned and the plural word being mentioned grammatically in the language, there's no issue in that for those who understand that point of Arabic. And that's an important point. When the people of innovation come to you with debates and arguments, often they do not even understand the basics of the Arabic language. They have interpreted something and it doesn't mean that at all. They have interpreted something and it doesn't mean that and the grammar doesn't prove that. Like in the ayah regarding when Musa salam said to uh, uh, asked Allah to allow him to see him. Musa salam asked Allah so that he could see Allah. Allah replied in the Quran, he mentions, Lan Tarani. 
Learn in Arabic is what? In Arabic, what do you call it? It is harf. Harf al-nafil al-mustaqbal. So they say it is a particle, a word in Arabic, the word lan, a word in Arabic to indicate future tense negation. You say lan adhaba ila whatever, whatever. I am not going to go to such and such. It is future tense negation. So in the ayah, Allah says to Musa alayhi salam upon his request to uh, see Allah, Allah says, Lan tarani. That you will not see me referring to the future tense. You're not going to see me. You're never going to see me. It can be understood in English the way to explain it. You're never going to see me. I.e. future tense negation. Into the future tense, you're not going to see me. So some of the people of innovation said, There. Arabic language, clear proof. Lan tarani. You will never see me. But this is because of their ignorance of the Arabic language. Lan does not mean negation into the, the unlimited future. It doesn't mean never ever, basically. Lan in Arabic does not mean never ever. It doesn't mean negation to an infinite amount. It means negation into the future to a limit. And they've mentioned that in the books of grammar. In the books of grammar, Ibn Aqil and others from the famous grammarians, they mentioned, they used to say things like, he's an absolute ignoramus, the one who thinks that Lan means an absolute negation into the future. It doesn't. So, knowing the Arabic language is an important point in understanding these affairs too. Final issue to round off on then. We've explained the ayah that mentioned one eye and the ayah that mentioned multiple eyes. That the ayah that was mentioning one eye doesn't necessitate one because of the combination in the Arabic language. That's no problem then. How do we though explain the multiple usage with the dual usage? In the, in the hadith and in places it mentions the two eyes. How do we combine the concept of two eyes with plural? One we can. You have the simple Arabic attachment rule. That's done. Two and three. How do you combine two and three? Two and three are obviously different. How do you combine these to make it mean the same thing? Okay, so كيف نجمع بين التثنية وبين الجمع؟ الجواب على ذلك أن يقال إن قلنا بأن أقل الجمع اثنان فليس هناك تعارض. There is an opinion of some of the scholars. That a plural is anything which is two or more. So in that case, you either have singular or plural. Singular is one and plural in that sense is therefore anything that is two or more. So in that case, there's no issue again. Because the plural usage of the word is therefore referring back to the 
dual. So it's the same thing again. Plural is being used to refer to the dual. That's one way. وَإِن قُلْنَا بِأَنَّ أَقَلَّ الْجَمْعِ ثَلَاثَ فَالْجَمْعُ هُنَا إِنَّمَا هُوَ لِلتَّعْظِيمِ وَالتَّنَاسُبْ بَيْنَ الْمُضَافِ وَالْمُضَافِ إِلَيْهِ لِأَنَّ الْجَمْعَ يُرَادُ بِهِ التَّعْظِيمِ مثل قوله تعالى إِنَّا نَحْنُ نَزَّلْنَا الذِّكْرِ وقوله تعالى إِنَّا نَحْنُ نُحْيِ الْمَوْتَى والتناسب هنا هو التناسب بين المضاف والمضاف إليه فكان مراعاة التناسب بين المضاف والمضاف إليه أو لا If you understand Arabic, you understand that. If you don't, then all we'll say is that there are simple grammatical rules again that explain that a dual can be used or, or a plural can be used to indicate greatness of something. You know, when you learn Arabic, initially you learn things in a very simplified way. Fi means in, ala means on. But in reality, lots of things are interchangeable in Arabic. And the meanings are not strict and rigid like that. So, like for example, hava means this is you learn in English. Thalika ismul ishara lil That is. But then in the Quran, Allah says, Alif Lam Mim, Thalika al Kitabu la Raybafi. Why Thalika al Kitab? Al Kitab here, Al Quran. Hadha al Kitab. Why did Allah say Thalika al Kitab? When you have the book here right in front of you, this is the book that there is no doubt in, but Allah says, Thalika al Kitab. Why? In English, you may say literally, that is the book. Where that? The Quran is here, we've got it. It should be, this is the book. So why does Allah say that is the book linguistically? Because another meaning of using the distant wording of it is to indicate greatness. It indicates ta'zim, greatness. Sometimes the plural can do that. And that's an easy one to understand because it happens in English. Known as the, the royal we. The royal we. You know, when they have the royal we, when you're only talking about yourself, but you talk about yourself in the plural. So there's explanations as to why that plural is mentioned in the ayat, and it wouldn't contradict the fact that it is still referring to the two, the dual. That's why we're going to conclude today. We'll start with the next chapter, uh, chapter 18. From next week, inshallah ta'ala, after Salat al-Isha again. Uh, uh, up until then, we'll round off for tonight then.